last Sunday after church, I was taking my youngest daughter to soccer practice. And she must have wanted ice cream or something afterwards because she actually asked me about the sermon. I'm like, well, okay, I'll tell you about the sermon. And, uh, and so I was explaining that one of the things we talked about is how there's Christians who have good intentions, but they try to draw a distinction between joy and happiness that isn't necessarily there. And they try to say happiness is bad and joy is good. And my daughter looks at me and she's a fifth grader and she goes, Dad, happiness and joy are synonyms. And I said, exactly, exactly. They're synonyms in English. They are synonyms in Greek, as they're used in the Bible. They're synonyms in Hebrew. And one of the things that we're trying to do in this series is to treat those words like the scriptures do, as two things that overlap, that God wants both of them for us. Does God want you to be happy? Yes. Correctly understood? Of course. Does God want you to be filled with joy? Yes. Here's a scripture passage that puts them together. We looked at this last week, Psalm 68.3. May the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. Last week, we launched this series that we're in. It's called The Pursuit of Happiness. And we're going to do the best we can, as I mentioned, to try to treat these words biblically the way the scriptures do as two things that overlap that are both good. And if you are a note-taker, I want to encourage you to pull out your notes and write this down. This is the thesis behind this series. Our thesis is this, that happiness can be a God-honoring pursuit. You'll notice I didn't say it always is, because you can pursue the joy of getting revenge, and that is not a God-honoring pursuit, right? So happiness can be a God-honoring pursuit. Joy can be a God-honoring pursuit. It depends how you're pursuing them. That's what we're looking at in this series. Here's the kind of joy... Here's the kind of happiness that God wants for you. And there's a place to write this in your notes too. God wants you to experience the kind of happiness that you don't regret later. Isn't that a good way of putting it? God wants you and I to experience the kind of happiness that we don't regret later. Because he wants us to experience joy that is based on truth. Not joy that is based on a lie. And it is our sincere hope, it is our sincere prayer that this teaching series will, will serve as a signpost or a reminder that points us in the direction of God's happiness, God's joy. Well, in my research for the series, I came across this statistic. Consider this. A study was out there that indicates that children laugh an average of how many times a day? 400 times. A lot of it after 9 p.m. <laughs> Especially when there's a sleepover. Um, then after midnight, right, right. Um, yeah, they last 400 times a day. But what happens when we're adults? How many times do we laugh a day? 15 and half of those are the polite. <laughs> that was really funny. Huh? You know, right. How many of you would like more laughter? All right. How many would like more joy? God wants that for us too. He wants that for us too. He wants us to be a joyful people, a happy people. He wants that for us. In fact, we have a memory verse. Those of you who come, we always have memory verses all the time. No, I'm just kidding. We we don't. That's a lie. um, But it's been long overdue since we've had a memory verse attached to one of our series. So would you please read this with me? We're going to read it three times, trying to get this verse to sink into our hearts and our minds over this series. Please read this with me. It's from John chapter 15, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. John 15, 11. Again, these things I have spoken to you, 
that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. John 15, 11. Last time. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I want to encourage you to memorize that because we're going to be digging into the context around this passage. And let's start right now. John chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, we're going to backtrack a little bit. And then we're going to spend most of our time in John 15. So if you have your Bible with you, please open with me to John 14, 27. And I want to let you know, too, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one free today. Um, We keep stacks of them at both of our entrances, exits, and we'd love for you to take one home as a gift. All right, here we go. Um, Jesus, what he does in the passage that we just read slash attempted to memorize, he linked our joy to his teaching. Jesus links our joy to his teaching. He says, these things have spoken to you that. My joy may be in you, your joy may be full. And what we're going to explore today is the relationship between happiness and trust. The relationship between happiness and trust. Let's begin our journey with a verse that we looked at last week. We're going to back up to 1427. It says this. And these are again are the words of Jesus. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let them be afraid. It's interesting. Before Jesus talks about his joy, he talks about his what? His peace. Before Jesus talks about his joy, he talks about his peace. And they've done all kinds of studies. They've done all kinds of research on this. You can't have lasting joy without peace. In fact, show me someone who's truly happy. I'll show you someone who's truly at peace with God, with others, and with themselves. And I'll go this far. If you don't have peace, good luck finding real happiness. You'll never make enough money. If you don't have peace with God and with the people you love the most, you're never going to make enough money to be happy. You're never going to have a house that feels like a home, no matter how nice you make it. If you don't have peace with God, peace with with the people you love, you can fill your life with toys. They're not going to sparkle very long if you don't have peace with the people that matter most, with your God. But when you have peace, we all know this, right? When you have peace, you can be in a shack and it can be filled with laughter. You can be trapped in a tent on a rainy day. If you have peace with each other, you can laugh in the midst of that. And again, modern research backs all this up. In your notes, I have a green insert, and you can take a look there. There's two different studies that we reference. One that talks about the relationship between peace with God and happiness, and another that talks about relationships with one another and happiness. We put those two in there. But here's the deal. 2,000 years before either of those studies, Jesus was teaching on this. 2,000 years before any of the studies, Jesus was teaching on this connection peace and happiness. Let's take a look. John chapter 15, starting with verse 1. These are the words of Jesus. He says, I'm the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Now, this is the last of seven I am statements of Jesus. And someday I want to do a series on all of those because they're so powerful. This is the last of seven. And in this I am statement, Jesus refers to himself as the true vine. And he says, my father, the vine dresser, does two things. He removes unfaithful, unfruitful branches and he prunes the rest. And then in English, it gets a little choppy because there seems to be an abrupt shift from pruning to cleaning. Did you see that? From pruning to cleaning. Well, in Greek, there's not an abrupt shift. In fact, it's brilliant wordplay. 
because John purposely writes a word, a Greek word that means to prune, but prune, but it's an uncommon use of the word for prune. And that word sounds like the word for cleanse. And so John is doing some wordplay here with the words of Jesus. And it's, it's brilliant because he's talking about how, connecting how when God cuts away things that distract us, he cleanses us. And through all of this, there's an underlying assumption that the vine dresser knows what he's doing when he prunes, when he cleanses. Picking up with verse 4, I'm the vine, says Jesus, and you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. All right, we haven't seen the word peace here. What does this have to do with finding peace? It has everything to do with finding peace. Because God is inviting us to find our strength in him. God desires to work in us and through us. He desires to be present in our lives in such a way where we can have peace because we can sense God at work in our lives, bearing fruit, and the world can see that too. We're told by Jesus, he loves us as the Father loved him. He invites us to abide in him. That's a word we don't use much anymore. It's a word that means to dwell in, to live in. The kind of peace that we're describing today is directly related to a life-giving relationship with the vine and the vine dresser. And here's the thing, and here's again how it relates to peace. Unfortunately, we try to go our own way. Instead of remaining connected to the vine, we're all tempted to go our own way. And this is a temptation that has been around since the dawn of humankind. It's old. I'm going to put a 500-year-old quote on the screen. And this guy is quoting something that happened thousands of years before that. John Knox, take a look at this. The devil caused Adam and Eve to seek life where God had pronounced what to be? Death. This isn't something new. God caused Adam and Eve to seek life where God had pronounced death to be. The choice we have today is not a choice between happiness and joy choice we have is whether we're going to trust Jesus of Nazareth, that he is the way and the truth and the life. Jesus never taught us that all paths lead to the same destination. You may have heard people say that. He taught the opposite. Jesus did not teach that all paths lead to the same destination. Let's look at his own words. Take a look at this and notice the use of the word if. These are the words of Jesus, picking up with verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. Do you see there's a connection between that promise that's our memory verse? And ifs. C.S. Lewis, he, he nails it when he says this. He goes, if you want to get warm, stand near the fire. If you want joy and peace and eternal life, get close to the thing that has them. If God wants his joy to fill us, he also wants us 
to, to know and experience that he really is the way and the truth and the life. But for that to happen, we've got to trust him, even if his path seems hard. Maybe this illustration will help. Just about the time our family was about to head out of town for spring break this year, something happened in my mouth, and I had mentioned it um, when it broke um, here in, in this room, actually. Um, we didn't have time for a full examination because we were heading down to, to Florida. So I was given some amoxicillin and I picked up some Motrin to help make my trip a little more joyful and a little less painful. Well, we got back from spring break and things were not getting better. And so I scheduled a den, uh, dentist visit, went in there, and Dr. Bruce sat me down in the chair and he told me what the problem was. My tooth had broken into two. So tooth broken in two. And I'm sure that his words were a lot softer than the words I'm going to feed back to you now, but this is what got through my filter. Here's what I heard him say. He said, here's what we got to do. If you want to get better, we need to pull out that old tooth. I need to drill a hole in your jaw. I, again, my words, not his. Um, I need to put a, uh, a titanium piece of titanium in there for an anchor. And then I'm going to stitch it up. And after about six months, you've got to come back in here. We're going to install a new fabricated tooth that will last about 20 years. It's going to hurt. It's going to be expensive. The process is going to take several months. And even when we're done, we're not done because all this stuff wears out. Again, my words, not his. <laughs> but if you want a happy, joy-filled face... <laughs> This is your path to peace and joy. Now, I, I could have questioned his motives. I could have ignored his advice. And I could have pretended that his way was not the way and the truth towards a happy face. But the path of denial and amoxicillin and Motrin, even though it seems simpler and cheaper, was not the right path. And here's the thing about my life. I want my life to be reality-based, don't we all? Don't we want our life to be reality-based? Well, then you know where I'm going with this. What if? What if there is a reality-based path that leads to peace and joy that we're not going to follow on our own or find on our own or discover on our own? What if God has correctly diagnosed our condition? And what if his commands and his teachings ultimately lead us where we really want to go, even if that path seems hard? If true and lasting happiness requires peace, if true and lasting peace requires a right relationship with God, then trusting God is in our best interest. Because if God is who he claims to be, then he knows all that can be known, and he alone can prescribe a path that leads towards his peace and his joy. Throughout this section of scripture that we've been looking at in this series, if, especially if you read the whole thing, John 14 through 17, you're going to see the Holy Spirit woven in and out throughout this section of scripture. And you're also going to see what we saw here very vividly today, this idea about bearing fruit. And the two are very much related, this bearing fruit and the work of the Holy Spirit. I was thinking and reminded of a passage in a book called Galatians, chapter 5, 16 through 22, where, where we're called to walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. And it says this. It says, those who gratify desires of the flesh, meaning just listening to your own urges and appetites that aren't tethered to God's instruction. If you do that, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. 
But what is the fruit of the Spirit? This idea of walking with the Spirit. It is love, joy, and peace, among other good things. God's commandments aren't there to keep us from love and joy and peace. They're there to help us get on the right path. And even more than that, if the scripture is true and this imagery that God gave us, this metaphor is true, God desires to grow up within us love and peace and joy akin to the way that fruit is born in a well-pruned vine. Well, in contrast, I'd encourage you to write this down. In contrast, I'm gonna, let me tell you something everybody in this room already knows. Desires often prove to be unreliable guides. Can I get an amen? Amen. Our desires often, often prove to be unreliable guides. For example, if we eat everything that our desires tell us to eat, will that be the path to lasting joy? No. Yes, I got a yes from the front row. No, Emma. No. If we send every email that we feel like sending or every text or every whatever you guys send to one another, if we just impulse right away, is that going to be the path to joy? No. If we buy everything that we feel like buying, is that the path towards lasting joy and peace? No. Do our urges and appetites and desires function as reliable compasses that point us towards the life we want most? No. It's certainly not the kind that we won't regret later. Here's another great quote from C.S. Lewis. Love this quote. He says, all men, and I'll add women because I like improving on C.S. Lewis's writings. <laughs> all men and women know that true good is happiness. And all men and women seek it for the most part, by the wrong routes. Like a drunk man who knows he's got a house, but he can't find his way home. Isn't that good? That's us. You know, when we're following our own desires. I know that happiness is out there somewhere, and I think it's this way. And we start off that way, but it's not. It's that way. There's something in us that says, I know that's home. We head the wrong way. Everyone in this room wants joy and peace. We all want it. When we choose the path of sin instead of the path of trust, may I present to you, we're no longer engaging in reality-based thinking because we're following a lie, that we can find that apart from God. Pastor Andy Stanley, he says this. He says, sin makes a happy promise that it can't keep. Isn't that good? Sin makes a happy promise that it can't keep. And that's true because sin is based on a lie. The lie that we can sever our connection to the vine and still satisfy our deepest desires. Here's the truth. There's a place to write this in your notes. Anything that undermines your peace will undermine your what? Happiness. You undermine your peace, you undermine your happiness. And when we cut ourselves off from God, when we disregard his commands, the joy that we're pursuing is not the joy that we desire most. This is getting a little awkward because I got a daughter here, so I'll try to <laughs> do my best to get through this, but I got to tell you a story. I made a decision to follow Jesus in high school. And upon making that decision, I decided I got to go to a Christian school because I'd never been one before. 
So I, I was able to get in at, at Bethel uh, College, it was called at the time. And I knew I had a lot of growing to do, so that's why I chose that school. And through a long series of events, I ended up finding myself on their cross-country and track team, which I never planned to do when I got there. But I wanted to do my absolute best to represent not just my school on the track, but my God. And so I ran with all my heart when I was there because I wanted that uniform when I stepped on the track to represent my faith. And I wanted to tell the rest of the guys at all the other schools that, hey, I'm, I'm not some second-tier person. I'm going to compete with all my heart. And in my zeal to give my best, I often found myself sidelined with injuries. I don't know if I ever made it through a season, actually, without one. And that was the case when our conference track meet rolled around in the spring of 1988. My coach said, okay, you're hurt. Can you volunteer at the meet? And I said, sure, I'll volunteer at the conference meet. So I got my little stopwatch. And maybe some of you have seen in the bigger meets when they have that little set of bleachers right at the, the finish line. I was one of those people. And I was like third backup timer for third place or something like that. So I had plenty of, I was not the most crucial role ever. And so here I am, I'm packed in shoulder to shoulder in this little tiny bleacher, but I was not minding being packed in shoulder to shoulder because I was shoulder to shoulder with a really cute girl from Hamlin and her name was Joy. I'm not making that up. Her name was Joy. (laughs) Wow, sermon illustration served up. Joy from Hamlin and I. We had a lot of fun together. It was a two-day meet. We had a lot of quality time sitting there, no pun intended, um, at this timing uh, booth here. So, so things went well. We're, we're hitting it off. And then she invited me after the, um, the meet was over to come to her house. And nobody was there. And we sat down to watch a movie. And one thing led to another. And the short version of the story is I realized I needed to leave before I crossed lines that God said, you only engage with someone you're married like that. So I realized I have to leave. I wanted to pursue joy, but I didn't have peace. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I left. <laughs> and I headed back to my dorm. And I'll be honest with you, I was mad. I wasn't, and I wasn't just mad at God. I was throw stuff across the room mad. And I think a lot of stuff that I just stuffed down in high school when I converted to Christ, just all came out that night. God, why do you say no? Why do you say no to things I want to say yes to? And why is it that I'm saying no to all these things that it seems like all my friends here at Bethel are saying yes to? And I just got honest and I just got real and I was mad with God. It felt like God was holding me back from both joy and happiness. Well, my roommate was there, Rick. And I can't remember exactly what I said to Rick as I was just saying how unfair God was and how God didn't get it and how these rules were just stupid. But I, I, I don't remember what I said, but I remember what Rick said. He looked at me and said, Chris, that's a lie. He said, Chris, that's a lie. And he was right. I was listening to a lie. And it's the same lie that every one of us hears every time that we're tempted to cut ourselves off from the vine and go our own way. And the lie is this. The lie is that God can't be trusted. That's the lie. That we know better than he does. That's the lie. That we'd be better off on our own. Let me show you something. This is, let's look at our memory verse. Look at the very next 
thing that it comes next. The very next verse after our memory verse. These things I've spoken to you, it says in John 15, 11. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And then he says this. He said, this is my commandment. Love one another that your joy may be full. Love one another as I have loved you. May I present to you, we can't love one another as Christ loved us and sin against them. We can't love one another as Christ loved us and sin with them. Let me go another step. We can't love one another as God instructs us to love one another as Christ loved us and just imply that what you're doing is okay if it's okay for you. Because sin breaks relationship. It undermines peace with God. It undermines peace with one another. And it undermines peace ultimately with ourselves. God knows what he's doing even when we can't see it at the time. And as I was preparing this message, I was reminded of some other events that were unfolding right around this time that illustrate that God knows what he's doing. So that was 88. Let's go back to 87. In 87, I was still in high school, Hastings Senior High. And that spring in 1987, the Minnesota State High School League introduced a new kind of track meet, at least to Minnesota, called True Team. Maybe some of you guys have participated in True Team before. In a True Team, true, true team track meet, easy for me to say, what you do for individual events, everybody sends two people. You send your top two people per event. And we all run, compete, and everyone scores. Well, that year, I was representing Hastings in the 400 meter in this meet, along with a junior named Dave. And Dave was a faster runner, so Dave went up against all the number ones, and then I was in there with the number twos. Coach Cruz put Dave in heat number one. Coach Cruz put me in number two. And Dave won his heat. I won mine. And it felt good for me to win my heat, but my heat was the number two heat. You know, and there's the part of me that's like, I want to be in heat the faster and, it, and that was metaphorical, too, because Dave wasn't just a faster runner. Dave's family had a lot more money. And so he had nicer stuff. He had nicer clothes. Some of you are going to know this. He had the Benetton Rugby's. Oh, yeah. Dave, Dave had the Benetton Rugby's. So he was better looking, better money, more clothes, faster runner. He had the looks. He had the popularity. And Dave wasn't bound by the same restrictions that I felt bound by when I became a Christian in high school. Dave could choose to ignore those things because he wasn't trying to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Dave and I ran that race in 87. Now let's go back to 88. That spring, not long before I was pursuing joy at Hamlin, Dave went on spring break, right around this you know, same time. And once again, it felt like Dave was running in the better heat because when Dave went on spring break, he was pursuing a girl too. And he wasn't bound by the same boundaries that I felt bound by. So Dave didn't feel compelled to say no on spring break to the things that he wanted to say yes to. And there's going to be times in all of our lives where we feel like that's the heat I want to be running in because it'd be a lot more fun or it'd be a lot easier. You know, there's probably some of you facing decisions right now if you're in school. It'd be a lot easier to cheat. And a lot of people are doing it in business. It's a lot easier to cheat, it seems like. Take shortcuts. Everyone's doing it. When you are not bound by the Christian code, you don't have to give away as much of your money, share as much of your time, watch whatever you want to watch, do whatever you want to do as long as it's legal or you don't get caught. 
It feels like that's the heat that you want to be running in. I'll testify to this. God knows what he's doing. And in the case of Dave, Dave discovered that too. I was in 1988 when Dave got back from spring break. Just a little while later, he found out he was going to be a daddy. And I'm sure that Dave was a great 18-year-old daddy. But I also would say that if Dave could have went back and made a different decision, he would have made a different decision. Those things can both be true. Now, for the record, this is not about me making a better decision than Dave. The hero in this story is Jesus Christ. And I hope that's coming through. Because I was like a little 10-year-old kid who's protesting bedtime. Let me stay up all night because that's what I really, really want. That was me, right? Whining and complaining against God. That was me. God helped me make a decision I would not have made on my own. And he had grace for me, even though I'm kicking and screaming and throwing stuff across the room. He didn't give up on me. He didn't give up on me. Not only that, he had a path for me. Because there was another Hamlin girl that I would later meet. Her name is Laura. It used to be Troy. And now it's Studensky. And God had something better in his design than a spring fling. He had this covenant called marriage that's for better, for worse, for richer, for poor. And he had something more than a, a, a baby that we didn't plan on. He had two babies that uh, we welcomed into this world. God knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. And how good is he? He is so good that he can work all this out. Because if we make mistakes, God makes beautiful things out of that. He's not caught by surprise. There's never been a baby born that God did not knit together and didn't love and welcome into this world. It is all, he works it all for good, doesn't he? All things for good. Look how good God is. Let's continue reading. This is the same passage of scripture that we've been working on. Let's just jump to page or to verse 13. Listen to this. These are the words of Jesus Christ. The God who not only saves us from stupid decisions sometimes, he also continues to love us and welcome us back in spite of stupid decisions. John chapter 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that they would lay down their life for his friends. I have called you what? Friends. You did not choose me. I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. These are powerful words. And they're powerful words in our context, but they were even more stunning in that context. According to one of my sources, they said you can go through the whole Old Testament, you're only going to see language like this referring to two people. Abraham and Moses. That's what they say anyway, that God chose them, God appointed them, and you can make a case that God called them friend. He puts us in that category. How crazy is that? He chose us. He appointed us. He calls us friends. And he wants to help us make decisions on the front end that are good decisions. And he wants to help us when we make mistakes to not only him working with us to redeem, but he calls us together. Just like we gathered around the brewers up here. He calls us to gather around each other. Church, 
when, not if, when people become 16-year-old parents, 17-year-old parents, 18-year-old parents, we come around them. Do we not? Right? Come on, say it like you mean it. We do. We come around. This is a place where we come around one another because we are the hands and feet of Jesus. And we help to restore. We help to, to love. And we help to make things right. That's who where Jesus is. Will you trust him? Last thing I'd encourage you to write down in your notes is this. The happiest people have learned to trust the Prince of Peace. And that's the invitation that I want to leave you with. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being the friend that loves us enough to tell us the truth. And thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself as more than friend because then we might just take your words at a, at a lighter weight than they should be taken. Thanks for also revealing yourself as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, we pray that we could trust you. We pray for your spirit to fill our minds and our hearts, that we could trust you because everybody in this room, we are all facing temptations every day. The temptation to sever ourselves from the vine and not trust you. The temptation to cheat, the temptation to lie, the temptation to cross boundaries we shouldn't cross, watch things we shouldn't watch. Temptation to blame the dog when we pass gas. Whatever it is, Father, we pray that you will help us in all things to trust you and to seek your word, and to seek your ways, and to seek your guidance, that we may experience your peace and your joy. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.